Hey everybody, Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today we've got a great show for you. We've got Jenny Garchwa. She is the CEO of Go Nimbly, one of uh, the one of the leading revenue operations consulting firms out there, in addition to a bunch of others. One of them, another one's called Carabiner Group. But Jen runs Go Nimbly. And uh, we talk all about revenue operations. What does it mean? How to think about it? It's a really great conversation. If you're thinking about how to install revenue operations into your organization, this is a great conversation to listen. Now, before we get there, we've got three sponsors. We've got a new sponsor on the show this month. Uh, That sponsor is MindTickle. Let's tell you about MindTickle a little bit. Do only a few reps meet quota each quarter? Is the majority of your revenue driven by a few top performers? You know, that doesn't have to be the case. Revenue leaders trust MindTickle to identify and drive winning sales reps' behaviors so you can meet and beat quota every quarter. Go to try.mindtickle.com forward slash sales dash hacker to learn more. That URL again is try.mindtickle.com forward slash sales dash hacker. We're also brought to you by Pavilion. Pavilion is the key to getting more out of your career. Our private membership connects you with a network of thousands of like-minded peers and resources where you can tap into dozens of classes and training through Pavilion University. Enroll in sales school, sales development school, marketing school, and many, many more for yourself or for your entire team. Learn more at joinpavilion.com. And finally, Outreach. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting replace replace. Something about combining forecasting with replace as the immediate next word causes me to say replace. But that's not what Outreach helps you do. They don't help you replace anything. They do help you replace manual processes with real-time guidance and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC. Now let's listen to my great conversation with Jen Igartois. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Jen Igartwa. Jen is the CEO of Go Nimbly. With her deep experience in sales and marketing alignment and her passion for all things RevOps, Jen spends most of her daytime hours combating the things that prevent companies from prioritizing the right work. She's a lover of improv and applies many of its core principles to her work. She lives every day so she can have stories to share at Thanksgiving. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. We're excited to have you. So we like to we like to give you an opportunity, particularly as a CEO, to to give us a little bit of an overview of Go Nimbly. So we mentioned you're the CEO. What is Go Nimbly? Go Nimbly is the revenue operations consultancy. So we work primarily with SaaS companies, high tech growth companies like Twilio, PagerDuty, Coursera. Pretty proud of our our logos, and we work with them to either implement the revenue operations teams if they're new to this concept, or be an extension of that revenue operations team. How long have you been doing this? Tell us a little bit about the origin of the company. Totally. Actually, it's it's interesting. When we first started the company about six years ago, our tagline, you know, before Revenue Operations had its name, was unifying the business stack. So a lot of the work that we did was we wanted to think about the tools process and, and all the processes that go into your go-to-market teams as one. And we felt like that was the the real problem. And then it got a name, it got revenue operations. And really what we work to do is not just the people silos, but also take a look at the technology, the data infrastructure, all the things that are keeping us from providing a great customer experience. So what started out as you know tools focused, we then you know blew it up to really combat anything that's getting in the way of really maximizing LTD for your customers and that, that experience. In layman's terms, what I say is we're trying to get rid of all the internal bullshit that gets in the way of a good experience. 
what's your training for this? Well, what's your background mm. prior to joining uh, or prior to, to starting uh, Go Nimbly? Yeah, I was working at Blue Wolf. So I started my career at Blue Wolf. I was a marketing automation consultant. And while there, I got really obsessed with sales and marketing teams, like two teams that seemed to me like completely aligned. Like we want the same thing. You know, why is it such a cliche that there's, you know, so much friction? So I doubled down on that, did a lot of work doing kind of marketing and sales alignment work. And, you know, at some point I decided that I could do it on my own. So I joined a couple of other Blue Wolfers and we, we started our own, our own company. I love it. So when you, you know, to your point, right, like the, the phrase revenue operations has really emerged and taken hold over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you defined it a little bit, but what do you, what do you think are the keys? I think a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies aren't quite sure what the function is supposed to do specifically. When you think about the full suite yeah. of responsibilities that revenue operations should take on, what comes to mind for you? For sure. So if I, I've actually crafted very carefully, like my definition of revenue operations. So if I start there at the end of the day, it's a methodology. And the goal of that, of that team, of that function is to close gaps in the customer experience and maximize LTV. Like that's, that's the role of this. What it actually looks like is unifying the functions that were once siloed, right? So bringing those teams together. And then when I look at a mature revenue operations teams, if I'm like, oh, wow, you know, they, they know what they're doing. I'm actually looking at how they work more than the actual work that they do, because, you know, the, the type of work that comes to your desk is going to vary by your inflection point, by, you know, where you are as a company, by your product line, et cetera. It could be typically anything in a handoff between teams. You're going to see the most work. But what I look at when I look at the maturity is, you know, how, uh, how do they prioritize work? Is the work coming to them kind of the loudest voice in the room, or are they really looking at a gap in either the customer experience or revenue gap they have in creating strategies? Do they have a roadmap? Are they articulating that to the rest of the company? Are they truly the directors? Um, Because if I take that analogy, I see revenue operations as the directors and go to market as your actors. And, you know, you're both trying to create the best movie. Where do you start typically if if a company is early stage, they they want to put a good foundation in place. Where what, what are the couple core like early steps that you encourage most people to do so at least they can have the a solid foundation from which to build a revenue operations function? Yeah, if you're ready for that first operator, you know, a lot of folks look for that unicorn because a great operations team has, you know, the ability to be strategic understands process. They have depth in tools. They know how to enable the team. They know how to report and create amazing metrics. That person is a fairly senior person that can do that. And when you're starting out early, you're, you know, you're looking for that unicorn and those unicorns are harder and harder to find. So, you know, for me, it's, you want to mimic or you want to reflect the problems that you have and the roadmap that you have. So the, what I call the shape of your organization, how senior it is, how many people you need, what functions you need should mimic the type of work that you have. And, you know, early, I would focus on, on process oriented people. I think like a a really strong generalist that, you know, can lean into the other things, but has pretty, pretty core emphasis on process is what I would do early stage. What role does data play? Do you think, because you talk about alignment for me, when I, when I think about like some of the foundational elements, I think let's make sure that our systems are interconnected so that we can at least all have the same numbers. How do you, does that, is that part of, I think when people hear revenue operations, one of the first things they think is the person to build reports in my CRM. 
Yeah, for sure. The way that I, okay, so larger, larger companies actually have started their revenue operations team sometimes with that function. It's a kind of the easiest place to see misalignment is I ask one team for one metric, I get a different answer than if I ask another another team a different, let's say metric. So it's one of the first places for a lot of companies where I'll start to see a data team or an insights team get created, which has the same ethos as what a revenue operations team is trying to do, is it's trying to bring together the functions that were separate, that were you know telling different stories, prioritizing different things, and essentially trying to row the ship in different directions. And so it is a really kind of core piece. And again, the if I look at the maturity of a revenue operations team, they can map their work back to a data set. They can map their work and, and a really fabulous team is going to be able to forecast what their work is going to do by saying, I looked at our funnel, we have a problem at this stage, we have a conversion problem, I'm deploying this tactic, and I'm expecting it to increase by 5%. It's impossible to be mature without you know, that data infrastructure. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. You, you've talked about, or in, in the past, you've talked about empathy and the importance that the role of empathy plays in building an effective revenue operations team. Talk a little bit about that because yeah. I think it's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, so when I think about really fabulous solution designers and design thinkers, one of the things that they know how to do is immerse themselves in whoever their user is. And I think that that tactic and that that ability is a really creates kind of the most incredible solutions. And when you're thinking it from a revenue operations lens, I still believe it's really important to call your customer your customer. Like my customer as a revenue operations you know director is not my sales team. My customer is my customer. We all have the same you know customer we're trying to prioritize. But I know who my users are and I know who my stakeholders are. And having the empathy of understanding their job, immersing yourself in their workflow is truly the way to create, you know, the best ultimate experience. Couldn't agree more. So how do you do that? You know, what are some examples of things that people can do so that they can they can put themselves in the shoes of their stakeholders and build and design effective processes that help the company grow? Yeah. Yeah, there's like a a huge gamut of things you can do. And I actually think this is the fun work. At a baseline, you can sit with your reps and do a rep ride and just, you know, understand them end to end. In a kind of more technical perspective, you have tons of tools like your gongs and choruses that let you listen to calls and really understand, you know, what are, what is my go-to-market team talking about? What are my customers complaining about? You can secret shop your team, uh, pretend to be the customer, put yourself in the customer's shoes. I think people should be secret shopping themselves and their competitors often. So anything that you can think of to, you know, pop yourself into that experience. Now, we don't have all the time in the world. We can't be, you know, sitting around and stress testing our organization at, you know, every single moment. So I usually try to prioritize like an unknown uh, like a known unknown, like an area in your business that you're like, mm, I think we're failing here, or I think this is a problem. And then I try to either put myself in the customer shoes and buy, or at a basic sense, I can just go interview, you know, the people involved and stay really curious. 
I love that. One of the things that you've talked about is is having focus and learning the skill of focus can be a competitive advantage. Talk a little bit about that. I think, and we mentioned in the bio that maybe some of this uh, experience comes from your background acting and improv. So mm-hmm. tie those things together for us because I think it's a really interesting point. Yeah. When I um, first started my career, I was definitely the mindset of an individual contributor. Like I was going to be the best consultant. I was going to build the most hours. I was, you know, I was just going to be the best. I was an achiever. And it wasn't really that important to me, like the kind of energy that I brought or the kind of teams that I built, I was, you know, kind of there to be the best. And it was through my experience doing improv that I realized how much more fun it is when that's not your mindset, that, you know, you learn some basics, like what, like as silly as it sounds, active listening, if you're in the audience at um, an improv show and people are interrupting each other, there's nothing worse or, you know, when they negate each other. So, you know, I started to learn really the, that it's more fun for everybody involved if you're just a much better listener. Um, celebrating group wins together. So there's no such thing in improv as like one person doing amazing, like the whole team needs to be there. Supporting your scene partner. Um, sometimes you're not the person telling the jokes, but you're just as important because you're painting a scene, you're making everything a reality. So through that experience, I just realized how much better collaboration is when you are, you know, showing up in that way. And it spurred my passion of what is my relationship with work? I spent all day at work. You know, what, how do I find joy in it? How do I make it a joyful experience for those around? How do I, you know, yes, and the people around me and, you know, really strengthen that. And so like, that's been honestly a pretty incredible growing experience for me. And I, I do encourage people to reach out to your local improv team and have them do improv games with your company because there is such a joy in being able to show up at work and quite frankly, have fun. What have you learned? You've been doing this six years. I think you mentioned, what have you learned about leadership over the past couple of years, you know, and what's been surprising for you as a CEO? Yeah. So when I, I actually think the most pivotal, you know, moment was about a year and a half ago is when I took over as CEO. So before that I was running our delivery team and that experience was Uh, pretty intense because I went from being a lot of people's peers to being their boss and trying to learn, you know, what does it mean to change that relationship? What does it mean to still kind of respect somebody's capabilities, their strengths, and and what's my job, you know, in that relationship? And, you know, the, the framework that I always use is be caring and candid that, you know, I don't withhold feedback. I try to be really thoughtful about What's the one thing that could help this person get better knowing their goals and allowing myself to go really deep into that? Because ultimately my job is to make other people effective, to make sure that I'm bringing a lot of clarity to the business, that I've, I'm thinking about, you know, where this industry is going, that I can pave that ground. But essentially I need to count on the other 10 people on my leadership team to make that a reality. So really focusing on them. What did work or didn't work? You know, that, that, that transition that you talked about of moving yeah. from somebody's peer to moving to their boss can be difficult. And mm-hmm. yes, you know, you can have a perspective on this is the one thing you can sort of give feedback on to help that person improve. But there's, at least I sometimes feel a little bit of self-consciousness around sure. the unilateral, uh, the, the flow of, of feedback and how mm-hmm. as the CEO unless I'm explicitly and aggressively asking for it, I might not be receiving it as much as I'm giving it. And also just the self-consciousness of, 
you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this isn't, yeah. maybe this is my problem, not their problem. How do you, how do you balance all of that? Particularly because there's, there was a peer relationship and now there's a, you know, a manager relationship. Oh man, I wish I had a magic answer here. I preface a lot of my conversations when I give feedback is I could be wrong. I'm open to being wrong, but this is what I'm seeing. And I'm telling you this because I think it will, you know, help you get to the next level. So, and I'm, I'm fine to be wrong. And I think that that's, that's helped the, you know, I had uh, a ton of imposter syndrome, I'd say for the first six months, taking over the organization in the middle of COVID, you know, like it was, it was a lot. I didn't have that face to face to kind of build relationships differently. And what I found was the difficult balance for me was, you know, where do I just come in and say, look, it's my job to make hard decisions. And where is it, you know what, I need to build a lot of consensus and show that we're doing this together and, but not slow things down because consensus takes forever. And what I learned through that is I'm actually not someone that I took a Clifton. I don't know if you've ever taken the Clifton strengths test that gives you like 34th strengths in order. I have not taken that. They, you should take it. It's <laughs> very, it's, it's one of my favorite ones. I love me a quiz though. So um, I'm all about it. But one of my lowest strengths is um, harmony. Um, I don't care about harmony. I don't, I don't mind conflict. I um, don't care about reaching full consensus. I care about listening and making hard decisions and I'm fine doing that. And so I had to really let that be known that like, I'm going to listen to everyone and then I'm going to, like, it's hard. I'm going to make a decision from it. And if it's not your decision, it's not personal. And, you know, I think there was a transition for getting used to that kind of leadership style. And there was a transition for me to be bold and understand that like, that's actually one of my strengths, but I have to mitigate it to make sure that what I'm not doing is alienating. So I do think knowing yourself and mitigating those weaknesses is, is a big part of building a team that understands each other and, and understands each other's strengths. Was that a shift in the culture? Was it Did it move from sort of a consensus-driven culture to, I wouldn't call it unilateral, but for, for you being willing yeah. to make a decision without having everybody be on board? Yeah, I think um, speed is one of the most important things to me as a person. And so it definitely, you know, I think was a, a shift in the company. And then I also really believe in over-communication. And so like everybody has to let everybody know what's going on at all times and lean on the side of being almost annoying with the amount of updates, because it's the only way we can kind of keep growing in the same direction. I think those were two big shifts that I brought in. Did anything about how you manage your personal life shift? You know, one of the, Mm. there's a, there's especially if you're an, a hard charging individual contributor. I mean, so, some part of being a CEO is just, you know, the company begins to model itself after your behavior. There's one sure. school of thought that, you know, it's just about hours. It's about putting in the hours. It's about working your your absolute butt off. There's another school of thought, you know, I'm sort of uh, leading the witness, but which is one I subscribe to, which is more, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to make sure that you yep. pace yourself and that you don't burn out. And that means building in time for yourself. That means that you know, not every meeting is going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes the meeting is going to happen in two weeks, but that's the thing that's going to enable you to be the CEO for 10 years as opposed to one. Yeah. How do you approach kind of work-life integration, work-life balance, you know, and making sure that you have the yeah. energy to be great? It's a hard question for me because I think I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm in the, I'm in the balance of, of what you're talking through. I read recently a book called The Infinite Game and it talks what you're you know talking about. Like there's actually no winning in business you know, the winner is still in business. You know, there's no being the best at any given point. It's about that longevity. And I, I do want to bring that in, in place. And I am trying to lead by example there. You know, I do take time off 
I just told you, I, I just booked a one-way ticket. I'm in Buenos Aires right now. I wanted to get my Spanish back. I grew up in Madrid and I want to be here. And it does mean that with the time zone, the latest I can join a meeting is 4 p.m. And I'm doing that. And so I'm like setting kind of those standards. You know, I, I do like a hustle and I have to watch myself. But the way that I balance that out is I have a lot of personal projects, you know, improv being one of them, but I do a lot of things, you know, on my own. I'm, I'm creative. I am very extroverted. So I want to be out. I want to be exploring and I have to make time for that. I was at my worst during COVID when I didn't have that. And then I would just throw myself at work. And that was my goal in, in 2022. I was like, I'm just going to work less um, because I am smarter and better when I do that. And that's, you know, that's what the company needs. And, you know, to pivot a little, it's why I actually really believe in focus. I think you can do a lot of really fabulous work if you give yourself the time to do it. If you learn to monotask, if you learn to, yeah, keep that focus. I think it's that, that competitive advantage I was talking about is my ability to sit down with something for two hours and work through it and not be starting and stopping every 10 minutes. That is a competitive advantage and certainly a skill that is... Mm-hmm. Not as developed in the modern era as it used to be, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What are your um, when someone says like, "What's your goal for Go Nimbly?" How do you answer that? What do you What do you you know? Are you pushing towards? It's always a strange question. It's not strange. It's just it's direct. You know, sometimes some people yeah. do start a company to sell it. Sometimes people start it because they just want to run it forever. How do you think about mm-hmm. being the CEO of this company in the overall context of your life's journey? Yeah, what a fabulous hard question. <laughs> For a services company, there's not, you know, there's not the IPO, right? There's not that like, you know, type of exit. It's whether or not I either sell it, you know, or, you know, take a big investment or like you said, I create this kind of like lifestyle business that I'm always in. I don't think I'm the latter boat. I think I I need newness and I I need challenges and this company could keep growing and give me that, but at some point it might not. And so I don't, I don't think about it as a forever. I've started talking to, you know, investors to understand, you know, what do I have to build as a business to be, you know, uh, something that somebody wants to buy one day. And is that another, you know, company? Is that like a big IBM that comes and buys me? Or do I need to be looking at a tech company that maybe wants to buy me and wants to buy our IP and our services team? So I'm starting to do that research and just try to understand how do I make sure that I've got a good valuation and that's, that's one part of it. But, you know, when I think about my ethos and, you know, what my mission is, like I do want to help companies create great customer experiences. Like that's, that might be RevOps today. It might be something else tomorrow. And I want to build amazing talent. Like I want to be a place where, you know, people come to elevate themselves and grow and that we create that environment. I want to like make people's careers. Like that's something that also really drives me. I love it. We're Jen, we're almost at the end of our time together. We'll we'll have you back on Friday for Friday Fundamentals. But one of the things we like to do at the end is pay it forward a little bit. Figure out, you, you know, you mentioned the infinite game. We're all, mm-hmm. not everybody, but certainly sounds like you and me are both readers. There's people that have influenced us. There's ideas that have influenced us. When you think about, you know, you can, <laughs> you can use the word content if you want, sure. but, you know, things that you think we should know about or people you think we should know about, they might have been mentors, they might have been thought leaders that helped form who you are that, you know, might inspire us. What comes to mind when I frame it like that? There is an organization called Cave Day. Um, That's where I started my journey of 
how my relationship with work is. And I run caves at my company. They basically run facilitated work blocks for you to get hard work done. You're on a Zoom or another application or in person and and they kind of help you through it, take breaks, et cetera. And I think it's something that people should be doing with their teams often is again, teaching, you know, people how to focus. And then there's, you know, obviously a ton of um, books. I read a lot. I am currently reading a book that is not that interesting to anyone called Managing a Professional Services Firm from the 1980s, but inspired <laughs> me that old books, old books are still really relevant. And so I'm I'm going into the archives, which I think is really interesting. And the next one on my, you know, bucket list is I'm going to go read the book Grit. So again, in this kind of concept of how, what's my relationship with work? How do I show up the best? And for me, it's Cave Day was the start of that. So I would, I would promote that. I love it. Jen, uh, if folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch? Are you, are you open to random stranger outreach from podcasts? And if so, uh, what's the best way to yes. get in touch? TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. It was like um, the lame LinkedIn. You know, you can find me there uh, posting my musings. So I think that's, that's a good shout. Okay. Sounds great. Jen, we're going to talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals. Thanks so much for being our guest on the show this week. Love that. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody, Sam Jacobs, uh, Sam's Corner. Love that conversation with Jenna Garchwa. We covered a lot, but uh, a, a couple of things that for me uh, are standouts. The first is everybody's talking about revenue operations. What does it really mean? And, and Jen really has sort of a design orientation to, to her approach to revenue operations. It's, it's about, uh, as she mentioned, it's about increasing the lifetime value of the customer and figuring out what are the, the methods, the processes, the systems that you need to build, the data that you need in order to do that? And it's also about bringing together disparate elements. They're not really disparate, but, you know, customer success, sales and marketing into one coherent revenue function. And I think revenue operations has the, the ability to do that. For me, it all starts with data. It all starts with, you know, somebody, my friend Dan Finley, who, who runs a brewery uh, with his wife, Carissa, uh, and, and other members of the the Nap family, Common Space in LA. Check it out. It's a great place. And they have events and they have great food. But the point is this. Uh, they said, well, what's the, what's the biggest thing that you learned when you brought on your new head of, of RevOps? And I said that we must connect all of our systems. Every The billing system needs connected to the CRM. I mean, maybe that's obvious. It wasn't the way that was for us for a long time. If you can connect all your systems, you can have one common source of truth as it relates to data. And there, from there, every team can make decisions based on the same numbers. So that's something to think about. And then, you know, I thought that uh, Jen was quite uh, insightful about, you know, that transition from being a peer to being a manager. In this case, she became the CEO and and understanding and owning the, the, the transition, right? That it wasn't going to be the same company anymore, that it was going to be frankly, on the margin, less consensus driven that, you know, solving for harmony was not something that was her top priority. Her top priority was speed, which tends to be my top priority too. The way that I think about it is I have a strength of conviction meter. So it's not that I'm always going to make decisions. It's if I have a high strength of conviction, we're going to do it my way. And if I have a low strength of conviction, I'm just going to delegate the decision to somebody that does have a high strength of conviction. Uh, so when I have a strong opinion, I tend to, I think, tend to be right. I just don't have a strong opinion all the time. So it's for me, it's my being aware of that fact. Now, so hopefully you enjoyed it. Regardless, um, thanks to our sponsors, we had three today. Outreach, traditional tools don't work in a, in a hybrid sales world. Go to click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC to learn more. Mind tickle, do only a few reps meet quota each quarter. 
Revenue leaders trust MindTickle to identify and drive winning sales behaviors so you can meet and beat quota every quarter. Go to try.mindtickle.com forward slash sales dash hacker to learn more. Again, that URL is try.mindtickle.com forward slash sales dash hacker. And of course, thanks to Pavilion Unlock your professional potential. Take control of your career. Learn the skills that you need to be successful with a group of your peers through Pavilion University. We've got CRO School. We've got Frontline Sales Manager School led by Kevin Dorsey. We've got Chief Marketing Officer School. We have just any kind of learning program that you need. If you're from everything from account executive to executive to CRO, we can help you. So go to joinpavilion.com to learn more. If you want to reach out to me, you can. Sam at joinpavilion.com. Don't forget to give us five stars in the podcast rating place that you use to listen to podcasts. And of course, make sure that you join the Sales Hacker community. All right. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.